Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Workman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It's 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning into the show yet again. We are going to be joined here in just a few minutes by Terry Igwe and um, it, I think it's going to be a great chat, great conversation. And uh, really look forward to getting uh, getting up with him and um, talking the, talking the game of football and, uh, and and all and all that goes around the game of football. So uh, really excited to have him on here in just a few minutes. Um, look, I was I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine, and they they really kind of put this in perspective for me. One of the stories, one of the big stories we we have been talking about this week um, is the fact of this lawsuit between the USL, the United Soccer League, which operates three different leagues uh, under the umbrella of the USL. So the championship, League One and League Two. And then they are suing the UPSL, the United Premier soccer league now um when i was talking to them yesterday uh they really kind of put this in perspective for me and and kind of reframed this entire um this entire lawsuit and and although we've covered much of this uh in terms of you know what uh, is going on in in the suit itself uh, just looking at the macro level, um, think about this. Uh, <clears throat> this really should be the headline of this lawsuit. New U.S. soccer board member sues U.S. soccer member. Alec Papadakis, who recently replaced former NASL member and current US, USL member Steve Malik, appears to be seeking total control or, to, or, or complete control of the entire American soccer space outside of MLS. This, when we were having this conversation yesterday, really kind of brought to light and crystallized some of the things that I've been talking about, some of the things I've been thinking about in terms of this suit. And that is that the, 
this move here is a power play. And it's not just a protection play for the USL. It is a power play, um, an offensive strike to claim more territory and more control. The USL, it is obvious, if you look at what they're doing with youth academy spaces, when you look at what they're doing with their uh, three main leagues, Championship League One and League Two, um, they are on the aggressive they are being a, a protagonist in American soccer in, in that they are trying to force the action in different arenas. And this appears to be another arena in which they are looking to either stifle competition or take control of competition. There have been rumors that the USL and the UPSL have had talks about a merger in the past and uh, that the USL um, has also been rumored to try to buy the UPSL outright. Um, and apparently those talks have not uh, ended in a way where the USL you know, got the result that they wanted. So this became kind of the next um, step in, in that conversation and in that effort. And, and so why would the USL, who's operating at Division Two and Division Three in the professionally sanctioned levels that U.S. soccer sanctions, and in U.S. soccer, as we've talked about, only sanctions three levels, why would they be trying to go and, and take claim of the UPSL? And, and the, the reason for that is, is that the UPSL uh, has a couple hundred teams in the lower levels of amateur soccer. And so if the USL, for example, went and grabbed the UPSL and and took control of the UPSL, they would now have obviously a lot more teams. They're, they're looking at revenues. They're looking at franchise fees. They're looking at funneling into um, their current setup. There, there's all of these different scenarios that play out. Now, part of the suit that um, that was brought by um, Alec Papadakis towards the UPSL um, is, is talking about naming and in, in, in the word or the use of the word premier. Now, I just want to I want to make a clarification here. If you look at American soccer, the names that are used in amateur soccer are much like what the USL has done in that they have totally just ripped labels off of the English system. So the English system, the, the highest league in England is the Premier League. And then Championship, then League One, then League Two, and then it goes down from there. In America, because outside of these three professionally sanctioned leagues that U.S. soccer has sanctioned and, and has done so in a way that is not set up for promotion and relegation. It's not set up for open systems. It's not even built on club viability. And we could spend an entire show just talking about the, the, the professional league standards of U.S. soccer. They are a joke, and they are, they are not at all meant to build better quality soccer or to make leagues more viable. It is to price people out, period, plain, and simple. And, uh, and, and, and on another show, we'll get into that. We'll show you why and how that is. Um, but, but 
getting back to this point in in American soccer in the amateur space the word premier is used a lot and that word is is thrown around in leagues like the NPSL the the UPSL the GCPL the GPPL um you you, you go well, what are you talking about in all of those leagues that I just named for example in the in the they're all sanctioned amateur leagues under U.S. adult soccer, which receives its sanctioning from U.S. soccer. So you have U.S. soccer, then you come down a level and you have a sanctioning organization at this level. That is U.S. adult soccer. And on the same level of U.S. adult soccer, you have U.S. youth soccer, U.S. club soccer, U.S.A., AYSO, etc., under U.S. adult soccer, you have these amateur leagues that get sanctioned through U.S. adult soccer, which then give, grants them sanctioning under U.S. soccer. They're, so U.S. adult soccer is nothing more than a middleman, right? A useless, needless middleman in, in the global setup of soccer. U.S. adult soccer doesn't exist. U.S. adult soccer is not – in England, is it, it, there is no U.S. adult soccer sanctioning amateur leagues. They're sanctioned by the Federation, the English Football Association, the FA, or in America it would be U.S. soccer, the U.S. Soccer Federation. So in, in the U.S., we've mucked it up and we've created a level of middlemen – and U.S. adult soccer is one of those middlemen, one of those organizations in the middle that then gets to sanction their own leagues. And those leagues, those amateur leagues that are being sanctioned under U.S. adult soccer include the NPSL, the National Premier Soccer League, the UPSL, the United Premier Soccer League, the GCPL, the Gulf Coast Premier League, the GPPL, the Great Plains Premier League. The MPL, the Mountain Premier League, you hear you hear a theme going, right? Premier, 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 Premier. When you don't have promotion relegation, branding, logos, marketing, sales, advertising, image, they're all the most important things. How do you distinguish yourself in the marketplace? Terminology branding the way you talk about yourself the way you set yourself up and it's a double-edged sword in american soccer because even though we don't have promotion and relegation we don't have a connected system of leagues in u.s soccer and i and i state this every time but i i don't want someone to watch or listen to this show and miss this point are in violation of fifa in regards to promotion and relegation in a connected system of leagues. They are violating, willfully violating FIFA's rules, period, plain and simple. They're there. FIFA's on record talking about it. And U.S. soccer has used the FBI. They have used uh, hiding behind U.S. Uh, legal issues, etc., to claim why they can't do it. But there is no U.S. law. And according to Bylaw 103, that's the only way that they can get an exemption is to claim that there is a U.S. law that prohibits sporting merit. And there isn't one. So they have lied to the American public. The Federation has lied to its members. It is not 
in compliance with FIFA. It is willfully violating these rules. And in so doing, they have created a scenario, an environment, where you have leagues like the NPSL, the UPSL, the GCPL, etc., trying to figure out how to do what they do and do it well and build something. And so the word premier kind of entered into the lexicon of American soccer uh, more than 10 years ago and has basically infiltrated all of these different amateur leagues who have used the word premier in their name. And, and so we have the UPSL, which has been operating under this name for 10 years. They've been building under this same name, United Premier Soccer League, for 10 years. It is, it is really kind of a mashup of the NPSL and the, and the USL and into one name, the UPSL, the United Premier Soccer League. And the USL uh, is trying to not only squash this, but take control of this space. Why would they go after the UPSL? Why wouldn't they go after the NPSL? Well, one of the reasons is, is the NPSL is not as easy to obtain. And by that, I mean that the, U, the UPSL has an ownership structure very similar to the USL. The USL and the UPSL are leagues that are owned by a handful of people. And these two, three, or four people, um, those, the, these two, three, four people that own the USL and own the UPSL, separate ownership groups, they own the league. They control the league. And the member clubs do not own this league. The member clubs do not um, have control of the league. These ownership groups do. So the USL is looking at the UPSL and and um, and are trying to to basically take into their own hands uh, this amateur space, but also at the same time they see it as an easy way to take control of the amateur space because they're not going to have to deal with a hundred clubs, like as in the case of the NPSL, a nonprofit uh, uh, league, the NPSL that is member controlled. Now, the NPSLs we've talked talked about before has other issues in terms of being set up for an open system. But in this case, having equal memberships would make it very hard for the NPSL to just get gobbled up by the USL. The US UPSL on the other hand as a league would have a much easier chance being gobbled up by the USL because of the fact of the ownership structure. So as we look at this, it, it, is, it is important to point out that the USL, looking at the UPSL, this is not just a protective measure, this lawsuit. It's also a predatory measure so that the USL can weaken its competition and, and in the end try to take control of that space. The USL have not taken on MLS above them, but it is clear that they are trying to take on everything below them. And I don't know if that means in the end, if they were, if they are successful in those efforts, that they would turn around and try to take on MLS and control the whole thing, or if they would be be happy with operating at division two and below 
Only time will tell on that part. And the way that U.S. soccer is, no one really knows. So um, anyway, it it is it is a a situation worth keeping an eye on and and worth um, uh, following for sure because um, the the this 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 whole fight there's a lot more going on than just a logo just a trademark um sponsors etc there there is a deeper deeper um situation at hand and we should not overlook it because um the ramifications for this are huge and um, in the absence of U.S. soccer doing their job, we are going to continue to get league wars on the field and league wars in the courts. And it's unfortunate, and it's U.S. soccer's fault. Plain and simple, it's their fault. No one else's. They haven't done their job, they don't do their job, and we're left with a mess. So, anyway, uh, the, the sponsor for today's show is Charity Water. Charity Water provides clean drinking water to people all over the world they are changing villages and changing lives one person at a time check them out at charitywater.org we will be right back after this message from charity water with terry igwe तर अहिले को बच्चा लाई मैले शुद्ध हरी अथवा उनका क्लास में गया रहती निकी बन्नी मेरा बंदा हरी उन्हें रूप बच्चा ले एक क्लास दो क्लास तीन तीन क्लास का बच्चा ले उनका ले सहज रूप आती है उनको ये तो बहुत शक्ति Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in and following the show. Um, really, really happy to have joining us uh, on the show, Terry Igwe. Terry, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, before we before we get into everything, uh, I saw where you were uh, in Ireland last week. Um, doing some more coaching education um this time i think 
you were the subject and not the teacher. Is that right? <laughs> well, I, I I would not want to say I am the subject, but it was great to be out there with a lot of people that are um, trying to get uh, some coaching education. People like uh, Jermaine Jones from the U.S. national team that many of you know. So it was a great experience. It was uh, was a great opportunity to learn. So co- going over there, um, before we kind of get back into to, to you and, and, the, and the whole landscape of what you do and, and your background, tell us a little bit about that week in Ireland and, and what was the daily kind of schedule like? What, what was the training um, and education aspect like um, in terms of, you know, what you were going through uh, as a as a coach, as an educator, et cetera, with their program? Yes, uh, that's that's a great question. The, the schedule is very professional. Um, uh, this is the UFRA license, so so um, this is our second meeting for that course. And uh, what that means is that we have already done another week already of we have a, of of training, uh, if you will. So. This, we, we have to go through uh, experts' presentation on sleep, nutrition, uh, biometrics, uh, you name it, all kinds of presentations. So we start typically at about 9 o'clock, and we go to, to uh, noon. Then, then we will have lunch. Lunch is provided as part of the course. So we go through lunch. Then after that, we go to the field at 2 o'clock and then do some field sessions. Uh, like we have the, the coach from Manchester City, I believe. He was there and to provide some uh, uh, lecture and also field sessions. And, and then we'll go back to the hotel for dinner, which normally goes from like 5.30 to 6. And then after dinner, we'll go for the final evening lectures, which would take us to about 8 or 9 p.m. So it's, it's a full schedule, uh, a lot of, a lot of, lectures a lot of field sessions um um and uh it's tiring i have to be honest with you but uh, i'm happy i was able to go through it well knowing knowing your background in 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 following and continuing education um i'm not surprised that you were in ireland getting your uefa a um tell us uh, a little bit, uh, you know, a bit of your origin story. Like, where are you from originally, and you know, how did you end up in America? Oh, great question, Danielle. Uh, I am from Nigeria originally. I was born in Nigeria, 1976, in a city called Benin City. Benin City is an Asian city. Um, for those of you that are very good with history. That's the, one of the first places that the British came in when they colonized Africa. So uh, they came in there, co- you know, colonized the whole area. Um, so we have a lot of uh, English heritage and culture that, that is embedded in there. So born in Benin City, uh, went to uh, school there, played at the youth level there locally. Um, then my friend who... Uh, he's from an affluent family, came to the U.S. Um, and in the 90s, and he was playing in, in Daytona Beach, Florida. And then his coach asked him, do you have somebody in Africa that can play soccer? We'd like to get one more of you because he's all-American. He's really good. He played in the MLS too, by the way. His name is Cornelius Dozier. He's now a pilot with FedEx. So he 
So he told them, yeah, I have a friend. His name is Terry. His name is uh, Babatunde. That's my African name, Babatunde. So he said, I have him. He can play. So they called me up. And at that time, I was already doing my first year in college in Africa there. So I transferred and, and got in as a scholarship student to uh, Daytona Beach. So that's how I, I got to the U.S. Then upon getting here, I did the needful. Stayed in school and started taking my coaching education uh, courses. So I, I went from being a, a player to a coach. Within three years, um, before, I already had my A license coach, coaching license with the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, while I was in Atlanta. And won the national championship as a coach, women division two soccer with Kennesaw State University. So the rest was history from there. I mean, doors just opened up, especially after I graduated with my uh, second doctorate degree from Nova Southeastern University. Things just opened up from there. Uh, and now, quite frankly, I'm enjoying the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, as not just an instructor, but I am now an instructor educator, uh, which means I don't only train the coaches or the uh, or players, but now I train the instructors, uh, the grassroots instructors. So you and I, we crossed paths uh, several years ago. I, I actually took a, a coaching course from you when you were – um, over the state of Mississippi, and um, it was uh, it was a great weekend. I I still talk about it all the time, and and by the way, before I forget, because uh, he, he'll uh, he'll blow me up if I if I don't get this in. Uh, Gerardo Flores wanted me to pass on uh, a hello, uh, and wanted to say hi. Um, so uh, so you and I met at that coaching course. You did an outstanding job, um, and it was. It was it was great, um, and and so just a quick plug before we keep going on. If you have a chance to take a course and Terry is instructing, you should do it. It's it's not only going to be informative, it's it's going to be entertaining as well. Uh, you do a great job. Uh, so you and I we crossed paths, we talked, we we met up, and and obviously I got to experience firsthand your your methodology and the way you talk about the game in the way you see the game, et cetera. And although um, y- you are a Chelsea fan, and, and we'll excuse that, um, <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your play, your personal playing philosophy. What do you like to see in a game? And, and when you're coaching, when you got that coaching hat on, what are you trying to achieve as an objective uh, in terms of setting up your team to play? Yeah, that's a great question. Just especially just coming up from Europe with a philosophy that is uh, somewhat different from what we do in the U.S., especially in terms of the methodology. So for me personally, I like to see because I, I I like working with the youth. So for me, it's a possession soccer, which is the philosophy that I use here in in Western Pennsylvania as the technical director is is to make sure that we possess the ball because you cannot score goals if you don't have the ball, right? And the kids love to play. That means they have the ball. So possessing the ball and advancing the ball through playing from the back, out of the back. A philosophy where the goalkeeper can play with their feet. They don't just pop the ball and hope for the best. So that's my basic philosophy. And it's, it's, it's in line with what the Barcelona FC is doing. I mean, that's why I've been there twice. 
that's why I took my team there last month, I believe. We were there last month. And, and that's the reason why uh, our ODP curriculum is built on playing out of the back, possession soccer. So that's, that's it, basically. Um, and um, in terms of methodology, I am between two methodologies, the European methodology of warm-up, phase of uh, functional training, and phase of play against what we do in the U.S. in the grassroots, which is the PPP, play, practice, play for the grassroots and also what the U.S. Soccer Federation do for the CBNA and the pro license, which is the OLE, orientation, learning phase, and implementation. So I'm kind of between both methodology. I think both are good. All three of them are good. I have no issue with them. But the most important thing, Daniel, is what you asked. What's my philosophy? The philosophy is possession-style soccer, where we get to play out of the back, Nobody's whacking the ball up in the air and just hoping for the best. But rather, we keep possession. If it's not going on here, let's switch the play to the other side and see if we can penetrate that way. Look, I think that is, for me, and I share your philosophy there, um, I I would rather look like a Pep Guardiola or an FC Barcelona um, style of team. And, and although FC Barcelona... As a fan, that's my favorite club. And as a fan of that club, uh, they've gotten a, away a little bit from you know Wego de Possession and in in uh, in terms of the the positioning of how they play and the the way that they set up to play. But they're still in that DNA, a culture of of possession and trying to keep the ball. Um, and and obviously we we see the results with uh, Pep Guardiola at Manchester City and in what he's done. Uh, not only at Manchester City, Bayern Munich, FC Barcelona before that. Um, w- looking at, at American soccer, and you're in Western Pennsylvania, when you are trying to talk to coaches about this possession style of play, which, you know, for for most of American soccer, either domestically or internationally, has been much more akin to the traditional English style of kick and chase, very physical, long balls, as you, you were talking about, the goalkeeper would just boot the ball down the field, et cetera, and it would, it would be about who's bigger, who's faster, who's stronger. Um, and there's been a lot of movement around the country in different parts of the country to try to get away from that style and get get more to the style that you're talking about. In, in talking with coaches and working with coaches, coaching the coaches and coaching the trainers who teach the coaches, what, sure. what have you found successful in terms of uh, methods of teaching them so that they understand not just the how to do it, but why it's so important to embrace this uh, possession style of play? Wow, that's a great question. And it's a great question and very simple. I can tell you that nobody disagrees with it. Nobody says it's a wrong way of approach. I've never heard anybody say that, especially at the youth level. Nobody have ever said that to me, even at the pro level. Here's the question. The question is, would they survive if they lose games because they are trying to play out of the back? Because they are looking at the money coming in. Clubs in Western Pennsylvania, kids are paying five, six, seven thousand dollars a year to these clubs. Coaches are making six-figure salaries. 
$200,000 a year to coach these kids. So what do you think the parents want? The parents want them to win. And the easiest way to win is to just put the ball down the screen. So nobody wants to lose a game because they're trying to play out of the back. So that is the bigger problem. The influence of money, the influence of pay to play. And to add to that is that, quite frankly, we all know what it is to play out of the back. But can you really coach it? Can you really coach it? Can you really show me how we're going to get out of the back when you are high-pressed with three forwards? So that's some of the things that even me, I don't know at all. I totally don't know at all. I just came from Europe now where I'm like, oh, my God, look at that. That's good. Well, I like that. Manchester City coach was moving players around. Here's how we break the line. Here's how we play between the line and all that good stuff. I'm telling you right now, I'm fortunate that I have all these licenses and I travel all over the world, but does a typical American grassroots coach who is coaching a U16 team somewhere in the middle of Nebraska, do they have all that? No. They just, hey, just send that ball along and we'll deal with it on the other end. So that's the easier way and the easier approach. But if you ask that same player, that same coach, what do you prefer? They will tell you, I'd rather play possession soccer, but not when their job is on the line because the parents in the U.S. drive the market. The parents will take their team or take their players and move to the guy who is winning, regardless of what the, the coach is doing, regardless if he has a license or not. So that's the answer to your question. Nobody disagrees with the philosophy that me and you believe in. I don't see, nobody has come to me and says, no, I like to walk it all along. I've never had it. The question is, that's what brings the money in. That's what brings the win in. And that's what the parents like. And that's the reason why even in Mississippi, I copied what Jacob Daniels from Georgia did, where he created a program titled Booting is Not Soccer. Why? Because every Saturday, all you hear from the parents is boot it, boot it, whack it. That's all the parents say. And as soon as you can whack that thing down the stream, you get an applause. The parents love it. Even if you are booting the ball to the opponent, giving them possession. So again, there's a lot that goes into this, which will be parent enlightenment, if you will, if you don't want to call it parent education, parent enlightenment, parent education. They need to understand you may have to lose a couple of games to get it right. You may have to. Like in ODP, we don't go by win or losses. We don't care how many we win or how many we lost. What we care about is that the kids are able to trap and receive the ball and play out of the back. Simple as that. So picking up there, how do you educate the parents? How do you convince the parents that this is not only – better soccer, but better for their soccer players that live in their houses. Great. That, again, that comes down to the coach, right? The U.S. soccer is, is teaching us all now that there are six tags to a coach. There are six taxes to a coach. And one of the six tags is managing your performance environment. And you know what that means? That is how do you manage your DOC? How do you manage the referee? Most importantly, how do you manage the parent? So coaches have to now find time to engage the parents, educate the parents, if you will, as to what your philosophy is and what you're trying to achieve. And the more we do that, the better. I remember years ago where coaches tell me, oh, we don't deal with the parents. We don't talk to the parents. Now we're asking for you to do that. 
because that's part of your environment. It's part of your tax as a coach. Because if you don't, everything you do on the pitch, every single thing you do in practice will be undone, will be thrown away by the parent between that ride from practice to the house. Because the parent is just going to tell the kid, the coach is clueless. He doesn't know what he's doing. And then the parent, the player now will be caught between what the parents is saying and what the coach is saying. And most times, kids will listen to their parents than the coach. So that's why managing the performance environment as prescribed by U.S. soccer as one of the taxes of a coach, one of the taxes of a coach, is very important. We need to, coaches now need to start engaging the parents, educating them on exactly what we're doing, so that way they help us in the process. That that is that is such a big key. I've I've talked to clubs uh, personally about this as well. When you when you tell a parent to drop your kid off at practice, we'll handle it from here, and then uh, you know you can pick them up afterwards. And then and there's no involvement, no uh, communication. It, it's 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 kind of like a virtual stiff arm. Um, you're not only shooting yourself in the foot in terms of the the coaching. Uh, piece that you just alluded to and talked about so so well but you're also hurting yourself from the standpoint of volunteers and getting more people involved in your club to be able to scale and reach your community better as well because you you're essentially saying we want your kids but we don't want you and uh and so that message of of inclusion just by having simple open lines of communication is so important so that the parents understand and i and i i've i've always felt this way as a coach and i've always tried to do this as a coach with with not only the kids but with the parents themselves i've always tried to 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 say to them here's what we're trying to do and here's why we're trying to do it and and here's how we're going to try to do it so i would include some videos i would include you know basically a a team manual and kind of talk through like here's how we want to approach set plays here's how we want to uh, have our, our phase of play through you know possession in di- different zones, etc. And I would give them these resources, give them these tools, and and not just the kids, but for the parents themselves. Now, the parents may not sit down and read it, um, and that's sure. okay. But it was the it it was more about the fact that I was trying to get it to them and trying and and, and in doing so, I felt like. I was I was given, you know, a longer leash, I guess, and, and longer time to help teach their kids because they knew, hey, at least he's got a plan. He's got a curriculum he's trying to follow. Um, and, and so oftentimes when when parents are told that the that the soccer field is a classroom and the coach is the teacher, we don't want you in the classroom messing everything up. Um, and I understand that that thought process behind that. But at, in exchange for that boundary, I think clubs and coaches need to provide a sense of, of calm and reassurance, i.e. communication. And that could take form in a team manual. That could take form in, in verbal or written or you know email communications, et cetera. But so that the parent knows that something 
is being done, even though they may not know exactly what it is. Or, you know, you may go to a parent and say, hey, we play possession soccer. And they're like, hey, that's great. I have no idea what you're talking about. But it sounds good. Sure. Um, but when they see it and they start to see, like, you working with the teams and with ODP and you, and you start to see these teams be able to, to pass and receive the ball, work together uh, in, in a possession style, then it, it starts to, to, to click with them. And then they're like, oh, okay, I see what you're trying to do. That looks really nice. Um, and yeah. so I, I think that's a, it's an important point that you hit on about communicating coach to the parents to be able to kind of cross that bridge and, and, and make things easier and better uh, in terms of developing your teams and developing your players. In terms of your coaches themselves, in 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 that the coaches that you work with, that you teach, that you lead, that you're guiding, um, what what are their what, what are you hearing from them in terms of the way that that they want to play, the way that they want you know are you hearing inspiration coming from you know teams like Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Um, Pep Guardiola at Man City? Are you hearing, you know, are they are they domestic influences? Where are the coaches kind of looking for inspiration of how they want to play? Yes, they they, they do look look to foreign leagues um, for for that, like you like you rightly said, Pep and and, and the rest of them. Uh, Klump, I, I I tend to like uh, the Liverpool coach Klump more. I like him not not for results wise, uh, winning titles. I like him more because his relationship with his players and with the opposition is the best I've ever seen in my lifetime. Win or lose, he congratulates not just his players, but the opposition. He makes sure he shakes the hands of everybody. And that's one of my philosophy, which is simple. Nobody cares what you know until they know you care. There's absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind right now on earth that have seen Klump the Liverpool coach, that don't believe that man genuinely cares for his players. There's nobody. It's never a question. For me, that is the ultimate coaching. For me, that's where I want my staff to be. Every kid must be acknowledged. Win or lose, I don't care. But every kid must know that you care for them and you care for their well-being. And once they know that, Nine out of ten times, those kids will come out and play for you, and they will enjoy doing that. So, so in addition to that, most of my coaches also draw inspiration from the MLS, from the MLS, and they draw inspirations from from what we do in ODP. And they didn't know what the right thing is to do; they all do. But again, I have to be honest with you: for those at the club level, ODP they're fine, but in the club level. There is pressure to win. The reason being, parents move to the clubs that win the state cups. Once you win the state cup, everybody runs to you. Regardless of who the coach is, regardless of how you won, regardless of the philosophy of the club. So the parents move the market. So coaches are forced to do what it takes to win, even if it's against their own personal philosophy or the club philosophy, because it, it, it's just the, it's the truth. So, so they are fighting a battle within themselves that I don't have to fight myself as, as a state 
uh, technical director because the program that I run, we compete against nobody. We, we're not in a hurry to win. Even though my ODP players, we have put kids in a national program. We have the most kids in the regional pool in the eastern region than any other states our size. So we're doing very well, and I just hope that that it trickles down to the state, to the to the clubs. I mean, but let's be honest, I don't control the clubs, so they all have their financial and uh, personal philosophy and all that to to adhere to, uh, and and I just have to give them as much help as I can. But ultimately, it's up to them. But the coaches, they are totally in line with what you, Daniel, just spoke about in terms of possession soccer and the uh, Barcelona way and playing out of the back and all that good stuff. They all believe in it. Nobody has told me they don't. But in practical, in reality, they don't all do that for two reasons. They cannot coach it. And also, if they don't win, they lose their job or the team goes away to the next club. So I, I want to make an, important, an important point here. And I think, uh, I think, you would agree with this point. Um, and that is that the possession style of play does not mean you can't win. It just means you've got to learn how to teach it so that your players can execute it so that you can win. Um, and, and so it, the, I think a lot of times when, when a coach is looking at a philosophy like a Pep Guardiola philosophy of, of positional and, and possession-based play, they might get overwhelmed in terms of figuring out exactly where everybody should be on the field at, at what given moment to be able to execute that style. And so the, the ambition is to play, the dream is to play possession, but under pressure or, you know, in, in the, the, the moments where, they're they're feeling like man we've got to get a result here they abandon it to go for what seems to be in their minds an easier approach to get a goal or get a win which is kick the ball long and 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 try to you know play more direct so um you know i think i think your point there was was really good about the two reasons and, and the first being that, that they don't know how to fully implement that system and i think that's the key there is is getting that kind of education so that you can learn you know what you need to do and then be able to disseminate that information to your team so that they can execute it even under pressure knowing where they need to be if they're pressed by three forwards if they you know it you know if they're pinned really deep how do they get out and what do they need to do where can they get numbers up in the field uh, from a positional standpoint to be able to keep possession of the ball without just kicking it with, you know, one of the, the, the terms I would use is, you know, does that pass have a name? Meaning if you were, if you were the player that was making the pass, who were you trying to pass it to? Or did you just kick the ball? Cause I'm, I was, I was never interested in kickball. I was interested, like if you, even if it was a long pass, if you could tell me that you tried to make the pass from, you know, uh, from John over, you know, to to Michael, and and even though I probably wouldn't have chosen that pass personally, 
if you could at least tell me that that was your objective and you weren't just panicking and kicking the ball somewhere so that you didn't have it, then at least we were starting to get the concept that every pass had a name, every pass has a purpose, that we're trying to move it to someone, not just um, out and about. So, um, look, I th- I think that is uh, – you, you are so on the right path there, and I, and I really appreciate the fact that you've kind of gone in depth on – the coaching education and and also the parent education as well as the player education piece uh, also i i want to ask you this what are you seeing in coaching the instructors who are coaching uh in these different courses what are you seeing what are the conversations like uh in those circles in terms of you know how how we progress as a country and kind of continue to build our soccer culture and and ultimately develop better soccer players. Oh, wow, that's a fantastic question. Actually, if I cannot answer this question, I think U.S. Soccer Federation will be pissed off at me because that's what we've been doing the last three years. It's very simple. It's it's just based on the three tenets of U.S. Soccer coaching education. It has to be realistic, which means we don't do drills. It's got to be soccer related. Okay? It has to be holistic. That just means that all facets of soccer is linked up. Techniques, tactics, and all the phase of play has to warm up, all have to be tied up. And it has to be experiential, which means they have to actually do it to learn it. Okay? So that is the three tenets. And, and most importantly, on the part of the players, fun is it fun because now we're doing the ppp play practice play and if you look at the play practice play model for three for for two-thirds of the time the kids are actually playing where you really do not have to freeze it what do the kids like most is to play right is to scrimmage so that philosophy the methodology of the play practice play falls into that for it to be fun for the kids. So that is the discussion we're having. And quite frankly, most importantly, is how we treat our instructors. Like I, I know you took one of my classes and you you were one of my best candidates, by the way, a national candidate you were. You're a great, great candidate. But I, I must say that we, we, we're trying to make this uh, a candidate-centered environment, not instructor coming and just telling you everything they know and, and, and then you walk away. Now we have changed it totally. It's now going to be interactive. There's no pass or fail unless you abandon the course. There's really no pass or fail. Now we work with you. We mentor you long after the course. Remember now, when you took your course, at the end of that week, if you don't turn in everything, you said, I pass or fail. That's not the way it works now. Now you could take a course, finish a course today. You will have a couple of weeks for us to mentor you and help you and be on the phone with you to get you to where you need to be. And even if that takes months, it's allowed now. So that's where we are when it comes to coaching education now, that we are now more flexible to mentor and work with you in your own environment. What's going on in your environment? Are you in a club where you only have one team? You train once a week, maybe once in two weeks? We are willing to work with you in that environment as opposed to what it used to be, which is come and show me if you can coach or not. It's a password fail that weekend. 
no, no, we don't do that anymore. Now there are a series of assignments you have to do at home and do in the course. And even after the course, you still have to go back and reflect and we help you to make sure you get what you need. So I think that's the, that's the huge piece um, going on right now. So as we come to a close here and you've been fantastic uh, for, for anyone listening, uh, like I said before earlier, if you have a chance to take a course from Terry, you should do it. Um, and, and from a, a, a personal note, funny aside, if you enjoyed watching Eddie Murphy and coming to America, it's like that in the class with Terry. He's, he's hilarious. Um, it's great. I mean, I was sitting there the whole time like, man, this is, this is the best soccer class ever. Um, so when, when, uh, when, I've been kind of closing my a lot of my interviews asking this question. I want to ask you, because I, I know you've got a unique uh, insight into this uh, as well. If you were made king of American soccer for a day and you had absolute authority, you could do anything you wanted with your power for a day, what would you do while in charge of U.S. soccer? That is a very simple question, but very important too. And that is a question, or my answer will never happen in America. Never. But it will happen in Croatia, Iceland, and the other countries. So here I go. If I am the king of soccer for a day in the United States of America, a country I love so much, diverse country, huge country, I would make sure the rules of play, both for youth soccer, college, high school are all unified and mandatory coming from me, the king, U.S. soccer. There will be no if, but, and about it, and that will go down to amount charged to each kid, how the schedule for ODP will run is the same nationwide. Nobody can change it. High school soccer, same thing. Nobody can change it. This is what you're doing, period. College soccer, here's what you're doing. You're not going back. There will be nothing like NCAA. It's U.S. soccer. Follow the rules. Youth soccer, there's no one million tournaments. Every weekend you're going, scrap that. Here's what you're doing now, and you have to follow it. And here's the fees for the to be charged. Everybody from U12 and below pays zero amount of dollars, no money paid. Go to your local club and play for free. And U.S. Soccer can send some money down to the local clubs and to each state to take care of some of the expense. And MLS, you have academy for the top players. The top players from ODP and, and other leagues go to the MLS academies for free at no charge. And then we'll go from there. That will be my dream. Well, I think you're on the right path with your dream. And, uh, and I think that, uh, we would, we would definitely see, um, more access in, in the dream that you laid out, more access to more players, more clubs, more, uh, coaches as well by having some, uh, national, standards national rules and and also national access uh for these players these coaches these families as well 
and it's an it's an important point of this uh, as diverse a country as we are and we are massive geographically we are also massive in terms of population um we can we can allow that to hinder us to be an excuse as to why we can't do certain things um why certain things are so hard or so difficult or impossible or what we really need is leadership to stand up and say not only is it possible but here's how we can do it let's work together to get it done and that's what i hope for i i hope that we reach a place where where we have that kind of leadership in place where what you're talking about becomes not just a, a dream uh, but could, could start to become reality in in, a, in different ways in, in in different places all over the country uh, because in the end i think american soccer would be better for it uh, as more players regardless of their background regardless of their skin color maybe their native language etc their culture they would have access to American soccer in a real substantive way and then you let sporting merit decide it from there and, and and that goes for player development that goes for coaching development that goes for club viability club access etc and and then you're, you're living in in a different world of American soccer in a world where I believe that um, you know we would see the U.S. become a global power in uh, in the game of of soccer or football uh, as we call it around the world and uh, and and to me that's the only way we're going to get there is if we turn the lights on of access and opportunity to every city every community every club every player in this country and uh, and so your dream leads us down that path so i really do appreciate you uh sharing your thoughts on that and all of your thoughts that you shared today um it was it was great to, to catch up with you and and to hear your insight um, in, in, in these different areas of the game. If someone wanted to connect with you um, before you go, if someone wanted to connect with you um, to, to, to learn more about your story or to, to, to talk with you about philosophy, et cetera, how could they do that? Yeah, I mean, you can uh, easily reach me at uh, my um, official email address uh, with uh, POS uh, Soccer. Uh, which is doc at pawest soccer.org. And they can also uh, call me on my uh, official cell phone number, which is 412 609 8012. We are also on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook is uh, probably easier, um, POS Soccer Association Facebook. So you can always search that and find me there. Um, I have other social media handles uh, that I could share later on, uh, which uh, it's the African organization that I that I run as a nonprofit. Uh, I'm going there next month to do a coaching course, uh, which I do every year to help uh, my country of origin. Uh, is to donate 10% of my annual income to go help train the coaches over there for them to uh, become a better coach uh, because I believe uh, wholeheartedly that uh, better coaches means uh, better players. Well, that is that is fantastic work and uh, fantastic um, information there. And we wish you the best of luck when you go back to Nigeria. And uh, 
I, I'm always watching when it's World Cup time uh, or, or any kind of, uh, you know, African Cup of Nations, et cetera, because uh, I'm always ready to watch and look for your uh, pro-Nigeria um, pieces on social media. So uh, you guys had the, the, the uh, one of the coolest kits ever at the last World Cup. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, my kids have them. <laughs> They're bestsellers. Even my kids have them. So you're right. They're, they are awesome. So, listen, Terry, thanks for coming on the show and for joining us today and uh, for sharing your thoughts. We we really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, Daniel. I, I talk to you soon. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. That was Thank Terry. Bye bye. That is Terry Igwe of the Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania West, uh, director of coaching, technical director. Um, he uh, he was. Uh, the course instructor for one of my coaching licenses and uh, did a fantastic job uh we've stayed in touch uh ever since and um as you heard he's got incredible insight in a way that he delivers information uh is great so um get in touch with him uh stay in touch with him follow him uh he's worth it for sure so thanks for joining the show thanks for tuning into the show each and every day i just wanted to uh, pass this along Uh, We are working on getting the audio versions of each and every show up onto multiple platforms for you to go back and listen to. And uh, we we have got it up on SoundCloud as well as Apple Podcasts. And we are working on Anchor and and others uh, that will be out very soon as well. So uh, a lot of you have been asking for that. And how can you follow, listen to the show, go back and find who was on what show. and, And so... Uh, now you can start to do that. Uh, SoundCloud.com forward slash Daniel Workman. It's an easy way for you to find those. Uh, find me on uh, iTunes as well uh, with Apple Podcasts. So anyway, stay tuned for tomorrow. We will be back then, as always, at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See everyone then.